scientists don't realize what's happening in the wider community and wider society around them because they're stuck in their lab or you know in their in their office or in their classroom and so providing a bridge of communication is very very important to what extent do you think people should focus on covid-19 and delay the researching of other important medical or non-medical topics why is it that science journalism is able to do that what is it that science journalism makes up for that scientific communication lacks disinformation doesn't necessarily mean um, not saying the truth it could be saying half the truth Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Science Journal which we are excited to announce is a collaboration with Know Your Daily Stories. You can also find this episode on Know Your Daily Stories on Spotify, SoundCloud or Stitcher. Today's topic democratizing science. Since last year, COVID-19 has shaken the world. In the wake of widespread panic and confusion about the novel coronavirus, science journalists have played an important role as conduits of knowledge between the scientific community and lay people. However, the unpredictable dynamics of a global pandemic have also provoked a debate around the shortfalls of scientific communication. While science journalism has long been considered to play an important role in breaking down traditional barriers of scientific communication, this recent pandemic has reintroduced the urgency of democratizing scientific knowledge back into the public agenda. Joining us today to help us understand about the knowledge production that we've seen during the pandemic and how science journalists have behaved during this time is Dr. Rana Dejani, a Palestinian-Jordanian molecular biologist. She is also the consultant to the Higher Council for Science and Technology in Jordan. So since last year, the coronavirus pandemic has shaken the world. In the wake of such widespread panic and confusion about COVID-19, to what extent have science journalists been conduits of knowledge between the scientific community and lay people? Can you talk about the role of science journalism in the context of the global pandemic? So, yeah, with with COVID-19 and the and the global pandemic, we definitely we have seen the importance of uh, scientific awareness for multiple reasons. One of them is, of course, so that we can prevent the spread of the virus, right? Uh, so what are those um, habits? What are those uh, activities? What are those best practices that everybody should uh, adhere to in order to prevent its spread from washing hands to putting on masks on one hand, but also on the other, on how to uh, uh, apply the um, uh, therapy, what medicines to use, what medicines not to use. And we've seen a lot of misinformation about that and how that has impacted people's health uh, across the globe. And thirdly, uh, how can we prevent, uh, so th the importance of science communication and science journalism uh, uh, is paramount because of those reasons that I mentioned uh, before. And because the pandemic is global, uh, it's not about one country being able to keep itself safe. 
by applying preventive measures or taking the vaccine, because we are only as safe as, as the last human being on earth is safe. Uh, because today with connectivity, with travel, and because of the nature of the virus and it's a, a, a very ease in spreading, and as we can see, it's mutating uh, to spread even easier, uh, everybody um, is susceptible. And therefore, raising awareness to the importance of science in every uh, nook and cranny on, in the globe is, is very, very important. And the only way to reach everybody is through uh, science communication and science journalism. Um, and also science journalism, science communication is important that we learn from each other. What are those practices that are happening, say, in Singapore uh, that allows it to be that the, the percentages of COVID um, infection is lower and the percentages of COVID deaths are lower? What is it that they're doing that we that other countries can learn from? And what is it that countries are doing wrong that we also learn from? So this uh, sharing uh, uh, is very, very important. And the only way to do that is through science communication, science journalism, to make sure that what is being shared uh, is robust is um, is true and addresses those challenges in a, in a practical way as well. Thank you. So the next question that we want to touch on is the relationship between science and journalism um, has long been considered a symbiotic one. Can you kind of talk about how science and journalism intersect with uh, with each other? Right. So so science in particular works on trying to understand the nature of things. Uh, for the betterment of humanity, right? Either prevention or therapy, uh, ultimately, and to live in harmony with the earth around us. Um, now, in terms of journalism, it's how do you communicate that science, that knowledge, that experience, those tools and skills to the general public so that they can benefit from it, right? And, and that that's done or transferred through journalism. So it's about sharing information. It's about dissemination of information in a way that it can be digested and understood by the general public. And it's also the other function is to prevent misinformation because there is a lot of people with pseudoscience who are pseudo who do pseudoscience, and who uh, whether intentionally or not intentionally uh, promote uh, disinformation. And disinformation doesn't necessarily mean um, not saying the truth. It could be saying half the truth. And it is as bad as, say, as not saying, uh, as being uh, incorrect or have a mistake. And so science uh, journalism is all about making sure that the information that's being disseminated from the scientists is correct and true and full and not being misunderstood uh, or taken uh, in, a, in a way that may harm people. Also, um, a lot of times, scientists don't realize what's happening in the wider community and wider society around them because they're stuck in their lab or you know, in, their, in their office or in their classroom. And so providing a bridge of communication is very, very important, uh, not just for the scientists to learn what's happening in the community, but for the community to come forward to talk to the scientists, to engage with the scientists, and discuss the challenges that they face, the problems that they have. Uh, but the people are not going to go up to the scientists and talk to him or her unless they feel comfortable and they feel that the scientist is close to them and can understand them. I have a follow-up question on that. Um, so, like, as a researcher's point of view, what do you think researchers, scientists can do to kind of help bridge that gap between the public and researchers? Um, what do you think needs to be done to create a more open space of communication? Because researchers and even researchers that are science journalists are 
challenge with, you know, um, translating in that information to the general public and making them understand. So what do you think in your perspective can be done from researchers to ease that process? Well, yeah, in your question, you highlighted one of those challenges that scientists face in communicating their uh, knowledge, their results, their research to the general public. One of them is they're not trained to, uh, to communicate to the general public. They're trained to present their research results in a very highly sophisticated manner to a, a, peer, a group of peers who understand a lot of the jargon and they don't necessarily have to go into simple terms uh, to convey the message. Uh, therefore, they're not trained, right? So one thing is that they need to be trained on that. Um, uh, also, another thing is time. So if these are really uh, uh, professional uh, scientists, that takes most of their time. So there's not a lot of time left over to, to start communicating in simple terms through writing or, or speaking or so on. Uh, another thing is uh, language barriers, right? Uh, in order to reach the general public, you have to speak their language. And if and most of science is actually done in English, um, not because English is any better than any other language, it just happened to be the language of science and technology. So if you're going to reach the masses, you have to speak in their local language. And that may be a barrier, one, because of the terminology, uh, two, of, of the lack of the scientists speaking that local language. So, so that's, a, that's a barrier as well. And so what can happen uh, is that we can train uh, scientists who have or see in themselves the capacity and the uh, um, initiative and the passion uh, to share their science with the general public, uh, to give them some training courses on how to communicate. And, and this doesn't have to start later in their career. This is something that can happen really early on for undergraduate students or graduate students during their uh, university years to uh, give them a course or two on how to communicate with the general public. And at least that way you, you prime them to be able to convey at minimum uh, the ideas that they have. Um, uh, so practice, 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 practice is very important. I wanna say here, for example, uh, at, the, at the Hashemite University where I teach, we actually do that with, with my undergraduate students. So I teach a course of cell biology and I, uh, one of the projects that my students have to do is they have to score through the uh, news media outlets and try to find a piece of news that is wrong, that has an error. An error could mean anything from a wrong citation or lacking a citation to a misrepresentation of a piece of information or, or a, a title um, or anything, in, even downright really wrong information. And then after that, they have to, first of all, to make sure that's wrong. Uh, and then they write a letter to the writer, reporter, editor, uh, explaining what is wrong in this piece of news. And so they, in a way, get some training on, on being science journalism journalists, but it opens their eyes to the responsibility that they hold towards the community, because the community doesn't know if it's right and wrong. Uh, so it's up to the scientists to play that role uh, of monitoring and having a voice. Um, also, we need to add that we don't have that many science journalists at least in the Arab world. Um, and, and the journalists that talk and write about science are not trained in science. And so this may also uh, offer an opportunity uh, for science graduates, especially with high unemployment all over the Arab world, to pursue a career in science journalism uh, and fill that gap that we need, especially today during the pandemic. Right, and science journalism has 
been considered pivotal in breaking down the barriers of scientific communication, which going back to what you said earlier about um, disseminating information in a way that can be easily understood by the general public in, um, in bridging the gap between the scientific community and the general public. And why is it that science journalism is able to do that? What is it that science journalism makes up for that scientific communication lacks? Uh, well, for, first of all, science journalism is it's a profession, it's a career, and so it has its own, uh, you know, best practices, its own standards, uh, and how to and know-how of how to do things. Uh, science communication is more of uh, you know people just speaking to each other, trying to understand what's happening with limited training and uh, expertise and experience on doing it. And so people who, um, uh, you know, convey science through science communication, I mean, using this general term, uh, may make a mistake, may err without knowing it. Uh, and so science journalism ensures that it's being done in the proper way, in the right way uh, to, to reach uh, the, the general public. However, having said that, um, we, we, we want and we need scientists to be able to communicate, right? Even if they're not journalists. Uh, and so maybe we need to define what do we mean by science communication? Uh, science journalism is very clear. You have a journalist who specializes in science, right? Science communication, what do you mean by that? What I understand is if I'm a scientist and I want to convey the knowledge I have, right? That's what I understand. And so since I'm not trained, I may not be necessarily able to do it don't know how to do it, don't have the time to do it, or, or may do it the wrong way, right? Putting people off um, because of my personality or because uh, I, um, you know, it was too sophisticated and people misunderstood me. Uh, and so science journalism kind of makes it uh, more streamlined and ensures that nothing is wrong. But having said that, we still want the scientists to communicate. We don't want them in a, alone and then the science journalism in the middle and then the people. We want to make scientists accessible. So we want them to, to communicate. It's just they probably need some training um, on how to do it and, and to highlight those scientists who have the skills to do it as well. So speaking about the inevitable challenges that you know science journalists face, um, how do you think the science journalism field has responded to these challenges? And has the science journalism community changed since the pandemic started? Um, that's, a, that's a good question. So, uh, so how science journalism has responded, um, first of all, in the, and I'm speaking of the Arab world, right? Because that's where we have a kind of a gap more than, uh, uh, say, the Western world. Uh, first of all, uh, we have especially, and we cannot also um, uh, distinguish this from what's happening today with the pandemic, since now we're almost uh, almost a year and a half into it. So, so any changes in science journalism uh, have something to do with the pandemic. Uh, what, what I've seen uh, going on in the Arab world is um, a, a huge wave of uh, initiatives uh, and people who are interested in either pursuing science journalism as a career or promoting events and activities that are related to between science communication and science journalism. Uh, we've also seen a number of uh, 
fellowships and workshops from different institutions. One of them, uh, uh, other than the Science Journalism Forum, uh, offering its own series of workshops, uh, partnering with the Knight Fellowship at MIT to provide opportunities uh, for fellowships for uh, young science journalists. But even, uh, I, I'm the president of the Society for the Advancement of Science and Technology in the Arab World. Uh, we uh, are also running workshops on science communication and science journalism for scientists and journalists as well. Uh, so there are a lot of initiatives and I think people, especially the youth, because in the Arab world, uh, a huge percentage, um, almost 25% are uh, considered to be youth and many of them are educated and there's, they are highly connected to the internet. Uh, and unemployed. So I see in all those factors, a silver lining, uh, trying to seek new opportunities, new jobs, creating their own jobs. And science journalism becomes one of those uh, very highly, uh, let's say, uh, attractive uh, career paths. In addition, we've seen huge efforts on uh, communi communicating science in Arabic. Uh, you know, if you're gonna reach the public, you have to speak in the local language in order to achieve the benefits. Uh, and, and meaning for the general public to pick up that, that science and use it in a productive way. Uh, and so we've seen huge efforts in that, uh, uh, in that uh, sector. Uh, in addition to the ones I mentioned earlier about the different conferences and courses in Arabic, we've also seen content in Arabic increased uh, in Wikipedia. And these are actually efforts of young students all over the Arab world. And amongst them, one of my students, uh, his name is Musab Banat. They've actually pushed the Arabic language from a ranking of 20 to 18 uh, uh, in terms of uh, content on Wikipedia. And they constantly monitor and moderate to ensure that all the content is authentic. We're not saying that Wikipedia is the most best uh, reference and resource, but it's one way to uh, raise uh, the uh, amount of uh, science information in Arabic for the general public. But there are other initiatives. There's Mawdu'a, uh, there's Maqal Ilmi. Uh, these are uh, efforts from uh, scholars, uh, from undergraduates, graduates, and postdocs all over the world who are Arab, who are translating scientific articles to the general public. Uh, we can also add all the journals that are uh, producing an edition in Arabic. So we have Nature has an Arabic edition, uh, Science uh, with, the, has, with Scientific American has an edition in Arabic called the Ulum. Uh, Popular Science has an edition in Arabic. And I think um, reaching, uh, producing these different editions in Arabic is very important also uh, to reach the general public. And also there's a recently from Kuwait, they're, they're working on producing a science journal uh, or magazine for children in Arabic. Uh, so all these efforts are really amazing and wonderful and very, very important uh, to, to reach the general public and raise awareness uh, to science, not only because of the pandemic, but also for future investment in research and science to build a better life for humans. Right. That's very interesting and impressive. And recently, we've also been seeing the emergence of a new scientific communication landscape in which science journals are directly producing content for, that are built for non-expert audiences. And scientific information, so to say, has become much more accessible than before, though there are still barriers, like you mentioned before, including language barriers, you know, jargons and complexities. But with these emerging trends, what are your views on the future of science journalism? Once such information becomes you know, more and more accessible to the general public, to what extent do we have to rely on science journalism? 
So the, the scientific journals that are producing content that is simplified for the general public uh, is, a, is, a, is very important, right? Because they've realized that they can't keep the science confined to only the scientists if they want the general public to pick up on it on one hand, but also to support it financially on the other when they see the importance of it. And thirdly, to build trust between the scientists and, and the people. These are three very important points. However, I think um, that uh, the part of the scientific journals that is dedicated to the general public will always be limited uh, because, I mean, you, 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 all, you can't spread yourself thin. You have to be very focused. And science journals will always be focused on producing uh, academic research studies, highly sophisticated that are peer reviewed that may not be accessible to the general public. Those are very important for references and resourcing and repeating experiments and replicability as well. Now, having said that, there will always be, therefore, an opportunity for science journalism to fill that gap, which will not be enough through the science journals, right? And science journalists will be writing um, and conveying uh, through the science journals, one, but mostly I think it's going to be through more general media uh, to reach to the, the masses. I don't know how many of the general public actually reads uh, nature in Arabic, right? Or, or popular science in Arabic. Uh, although I, I envision that it's increasing because everybody's interested about, the, about COVID because it's hitting every, every one of us. Uh, but ultimately I think the work of the science journalist will be in the general media uh, to, to make sure that there's, that there's always a section about science and that it's uh, all news that is produced is monitored to make sure that the scientific part of it is always correct, authentic, and referenced properly, uh, and to make sure that it's not misunderstood in any way. So uh, many academics and researchers have shifted some of their research to focus mainly on COVID-19 aspects of research. And to what extent do you think people should focus on COVID-19 and delay the researching of other important medical or non-medical topics? And do you think the overflow of COVID-19 information and research is reducing or making less room for information and research of other diseases? Yeah, that's a very important issue because of the uh, <clears throat> the crisis of, of COVID and it's uh, <laughs> how global it is and how uh, uh, serious it is. Uh, it has overwhelmed uh, most uh, scientists and uh, therefore outlets of, of science uh, studies and, and research and news. Um, however, uh, it is important to uh, keep uh, our minds and our labs working on all other uh, sectors and disciplines of science because we know we have been able to produce a vaccine in less than a year and this was only possible because of all the research that has been done in the past um, since the discovery of DNA 50 years ago people have been working on basic science understanding how DNA works RNA uh, and all the different types of RNA of course and all this research that may apparently look as not important, not relevant, doesn't have a, uh, an immediate application, but it's, it is that basic science that the current applications are built upon. So you build on, you're sta we, we are standing on the shoulders of giants who came before us working on uh, basic science. Uh, CRISPR is, is, a, is a, you know, it's a tool now that is built on understanding the immune system 
of bacteria. Uh, I know many of my students say, oh, we don't want to study bacteria. We want to do something related to medicine. But ultimately, it's CRISPR, uh, who uh, Jennifer Dodina and Emmanuel, they got the Nobel Prize because they were working on bacteria. So, uh, and there are many, many examples like that. Sing, uh, silencing RNA, which is also a, a very important technique in understanding diseases today, uh, was discovered by two scientists who worked in plants. It was discovered in plants. Again, people think, oh, plants, well, what are, why are plants important? They are. So every part of biology, and not just biology, of course, every discipline in science, and even uh, the, not just the basic sciences, but also the humanities, they all, every, every part contributes, and they're all important. So yes, as we become involved more and more in COVID, because it's an immediate crisis, we need to also keep supporting and encouraging and publishing uh, science uh, uh, and research and studies and the others. So to keep a balance, right? But of course we're overwhelmed and we're going to be working on COVID now uh, as much as possible. So uh, it is true that most of the media covering science uh, talks about COVID-19. However, uh, and, and of course all these uh, outlets, whether they're the scientific journals or the general media mag outlets, they're all being overwhelmed by by scientists producing research or people reporting on COVID-19. Um, and I think this is a good shout out, a call out to keep reminding ourselves that we, we need to be aware that there are other things happening at the same time. And there have been voices speaking of percentages of deaths from other diseases, cardiovascular diseases, cancer uh, on one hand, or even lifestyle, right? How many people are from uh, the impact of smoking, the impact of uh, safety uh, in, in, on the road, uh, the uh, even social structure, what's happening in, in prisons and, and, and police, especially in the, in the United States. So, or what's happening with war, right? In Yemen, in Syria. So we mustn't forget all of these because they, they are the ones that are always there. Uh, these are the chronic things that we need to also take care of uh, on a daily basis while uh, taking care of the, of the additional level of the COVID-19 crisis pandemic that is hitting us as well. Yeah, definitely. And your mention of like Yemen and Syria, um, I feel like our eye on them should never be shifted in the first place. And with the pandemic, they are they have just become even more vulnerable. So there should be even more attention to that topic. I think one thing that uh, science journalism is, is important can highlight are how different countries, I mentioned this earlier, are dealing with the crisis of COVID and how people can learn lessons. Uh, we saw in the United States how uh, preliminary people were not responding to wearing masks, uh, to social distancing and so on. While we saw people uh, in, in, in countries like um, the Arab world who were responding and actually in, in you know, um, practicing uh, social distancing and wearing masks. So usually in the mind of the general public, we think that developed countries are always more advanced and, and behave uh, and uh, apply the best practices. But I think what COVID-19 has showed us that uh, we're all in this together. And this, this concept of developing is a very artificial and actually uh, a, a not correct uh, labeling. And that there are so much we can learn from each other uh, of good, doing good practices and, and having a confidence in ourselves uh, to, to, um, to talk about who we are and what we do. And I think one important concept from that is that science communication helps make, uh, make the earth flat. 
Because if we're all speaking and we're all uh, talking about what's happening in our own countries, in our own societies, we help uh, um, you know, share that information. So for example, in Jordan, uh, a, a faster test for COVID-19 was developed. And if nobody had talked about it, nobody would have known, right? And that, that's important, not just for the people in the globe to know, but it's important for the local people to know. Uh, to, to have trust in their own scientists, in their own uh, physicians, in their own systems, in their own uh, uh, government, uh, so that they can move forward in applying all the necessary practices and the necessary measures to, to keep us safe. So I think this uh, communication is also um, uh, very local and very important locally to build the trust. Again, I wanna keep on emphasizing the trust and trust comes from communication uh, and for people to talk to each other and to share information. Um, and, and from that, uh, I myself as a scientist and I do my own science, but I also uh, like to convey my reflections. Uh, and what I see are ga as gaps or what I see as uh, opportunities and how we can address them using my scientific perspective. And hopefully uh, that would allow people from different sectors and different stakeholders to find a way where they can help uh, to uh, improve science or to solve a challenge in society. You know, because any of the challenges of the 21st century, whether it's poverty or water or education or health, uh, it requires interdisciplinary work and it requires teamwork and it requires uh, courage and communication. And so the only way this happens if we start writing about it. Most of our youth look at role models that come from cultures different from us, uh, that don't look like us, that don't speak like us. And, and therefore any dream be, is very far. But when they hear from people who look like them, dress like them, speak their own language, it, it gives them confidence and courage to pursue their own dreams and their own passions to become scientists. And the only way for that is for scientists to speak up uh, and even science journalism to, to not just talk about the science itself, but the person behind the science, uh, because the science itself doesn't happen if you don't have a human being behind it with the mind uh, and the uh, perseverance and the ingenuity and the, the teamwork skill uh, to help others. Yes, definitely. And I'm actually so glad that you brought up like you know, the Arab perspective of this whole, you know, dynamic of science journalism. Um, uh, that wasn't an intentional for us, but I'm really glad that we had that focus there because um, there is definitely a need for more attention in this area. And um, it's good to know that there is, you know, you know, improvement happening in this area and potential of the youth. I wrote a book called Five Scarves, which talks about my journey as a scientist. So uh, uh, and it's in English and it's in Arabic now. Uh, so also that's an invitation for those who want to read it, share their feedback on it and to encourage others to write their own story. <laughs> because if we don't write, someone else will write about us. So, and we, and we owe it to ourselves and to the future generation to write our own stories. Wow, that's great. Thank you so much. And this has been such an illuminating conversation. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm so proud of you for what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Science Journal Podcast. Don't forget to visit our Instagram page, sciencejournal.qa, and our brand new website, sciencejournalqa.com. 
This episode was produced in collaboration with the Not Your Daily Stories podcast with special guest Professor Rana Dejani. This episode was hosted by Nadi Linai and Rosa Pandi. It was edited by Nadi Linai and Ahmed Jassim. Graphics and artwork by Ahmed Jassim. <laughs>